Welcome to Spine and Body Podcast. This podcast's stated goals are to change how the world treats musculoskeletal pain, to create experts in the treatment of neck, back, and shoulder pain, and to advance the world's understanding of this pain, to inspire researchers, thinkers, and innovators, to empower patients and embolden caretakers. Follow us on this journey and let's learn and grow together. This podcast is brought to you by the Body Guitar Clinic because your body is a finely tuned instrument. Like all finely tuned instruments, it must be properly cared for in order to play the beautiful music it was intended to play. Care for your body and use it correctly, and it will play music that is unique to you, your life song. This is Sean Wheeler, MD, and let's get your body in tune. Welcome back to Spine and Body Podcast. This is part of a three-part beginning to our podcast, and today is what we would call a whiteboard video. At least that's what I call it. And the plans for this is to do a video, a whiteboard video, where um, we can take this audio and create a video with you know someone drawing on the on the whiteboard and, and explaining exactly what we're doing. So. Today is going to be much more of a lecture than anything else we did. The other two parts of the um, initial beginning of this are the uh, just Justin uh, Rickliff's video or uh, podcast through Guild Stories, which will be included, and then the second part is the uh, explanation of what we do. So this is uh, part two of a uh, three-part release of Spine and Body podcast that we're very excited to do. And today I'm releasing this, or I'm performing this uh, lecture type uh, podcast for uh, your enjoyment. So hopefully what you'll get out of this is an understanding of how the beginning, the um, origination, the birth of pain management was flawed. And, and then our plans for kind of moving forward from that. So this is just part of what the podcast is supposed to be about, but uh, hopefully we can make you understand that it's an important part. Okay, so with no further ado, we're into the whiteboard podcast. What is wrong with the medical system's treatment of back pain? Low back pain is the single biggest cause of disability worldwide. Rates of MRIs have been rapidly increasing over the last 25 years. Rates of spinal fusion have increased by almost 65% in the last 15 years, and yet we have seen no improvement in patient outcomes. The opioid crisis can, in some cases, be directly tied to our poor ability to treat low back pain. In 2018, the NIH developed the Pain Consortium, which is a major research and funding move to discover how to treat low back pain and decrease opioid addiction. But to really understand a problem, we must know how it began. In the 1800s, there were no real specialists. Everyone was a general practitioner. In the 1880s in Europe, specialists began to form as physicians found areas of expertise and wanted to advance the practice of medicine in these areas. They began to have more advanced exams, developed better ways of figuring out one problem for another with exam, and detailed history taking. Over the years, the history and exam became refined. 
Generations of physicians, through trial and error, improved their exam, found better exam techniques, asked better questions, refined their skill. When laboratory tests became more prevalent, many of the older doctors would complain that the younger doctors wouldn't spend as much time on history and physical exam as they would trying to figure out which and how many tests to order. X-rays and CT scans further pushed medicine away from the basics of medicine. As the younger doctors became more comfortable with tests and imaging, they began to insist that they could diagnose just as well with tests, and the physical exam became passe. The art of medicine was hard and took years to master, while the science of medicine was black and white and could be shown through differential diagnosis, lab tests, imaging studies, and evidence-based medicine. This battle was just beginning as pain management became a specialty. In the 1920s, epidurals, which is an injection of medication into the spinal canal, began to be used for decreasing pain in childbirth. And anesthesiologists around the world became adept at performing epidurals in this manner. In the 1950s, the first epidurals were done for patients with back pain, with pain down the leg known as sciatica. A steroid was injected into the epidural space, and these steroids were meant to decrease inflammation. Primary care physicians would do a back exam and send the patient to someone who was experienced in performing the epidural. No real decision was made by the physician doing the epidural. They were just the person doing the procedure. In the 1960s and 1970s, facet joints were added along with sacroiliac joint injections. This expanded the procedural skill of the anesthesiologist, but not the diagnostic skill. Then, in the 1980s, the MRI began to be used in a universal way to visualize the back. With this came even more diagnosis of back pain. As these diagnoses developed, physicians began to look increasingly towards anesthesiologists to do more procedures. It was a natural flow from epidurals to these other procedures, and in almost every other case in history, this would have led to back pain experts. People who became experts at evaluating the back, examining the back, experts at reading MRIs of the back, and using their practiced exam and experience to treat the back in a thoughtful, practiced manner. But this was the time when the history and physical exam was being questioned. Now that we had MRIs, maybe we didn't need the exam at all. This is how pain management became the great experiment. To avoid becoming an expert, an algorithm had to be developed. The main question in the algorithm became, is there pain down the leg? And what is the radiologist's reading of the MRI? If there was pain down the leg, this was called radicular pain. If there was not, it was called axial pain. If there's pain down the leg, then an MRI is performed. A point about MRIs before we move on. The MRI is a wonderful exam with extraordinarily helpful findings that can confirm a diagnosis made on physical exam. It is not a diagnosis. The number of people we see with MRI findings that are not helpful would astound you. The noteworthy study was a 1994 study by Jensen and published in the New England Journal of Medicine, where 98 people of all ages without any pain received MRI exams and 52% had disc bulges. In her book, Crooked, Catherine Jacobson Raman notes that Dr. Rick Dale replied to the 1994 study on MRI findings and wrote a commentary, quote, I hope this study is very influential. 
Many doctors routinely use MRIs to diagnose back pain. Misuse of this imaging method is a bigger problem than the physicians and patients realize. The opportunity to be misled is substantial. End quote. The book continues. When the Agency for Healthcare Policy and Research, a branch of the United States Public Health Service, asked Deo and colleagues to establish treatment guidelines for acute low back pain, that is, lumbar back pain of recent onset, they concluded that doctors and other healthcare providers should refrain from using imaging tests like x-rays, CT scans, and MRIs in the early stages of the back pain episode. The orthopedic spine surgery community responded furiously, setting up letter-writing committees and insisting that Congress do something. It worked. The AHCPR's budget vanished. The spine care panel was disbanded, and its well-considered guidelines, which, had they been followed, would have saved billions of dollars in the United States, wound up in the dustpan. In the meantime, between 2000 and 2005, the number of MRI machines in hospitals and private radiology centers more than tripled. What has occurred is predictable. If your algorithm is based on MRI findings and the MRI is positive in greater than 50% of patients without pain, it goes to reason that many patients with pain from something other than a disc bulge will have a disc bulge diagnosis made in our current system. I had a patient from Tennessee once ask me one time for ideas on how to treat her sciatica before traveling to see me. I sent her a video message describing many different causes of pain down the leg in which only one was from a disc bulge. Without an exam, every sciatica is a disc bulge if the MRI says so. You might think that this is no big deal, but it is. If you have a disc bulge, you will often get a steroid epidural. Steroid epidurals have no immediate diagnostic value. The steroid works over the next 2 to 10 days as the inflammation in the spinal canal is decreased. But so is the inflammation everywhere else in the body. So with a steroid epidural, everything feels better for a little while, including all of the other causes for back pain. In this time, the doctor may tell you that a positive result proves that the disc bulge is the cause of your pain. If the pain returns, you get another one. And if the pain comes back, often a third. If the pain continues, you're sent to a neurosurgeon or orthopedic spine surgeon for back surgery based on the positive improvement from an epidural. So then you could have back surgery for a disc bulge that may have never been the cause of your pain. If the epidural does provide relief, the patient is instructed to come back when the pain returns, but no more frequently than every three to four months. This leads to repeat rounds of injections where some patients received two to three epidurals every three months for years and years. If the pain is not down the leg, the algorithm suggests treating one thing at a time in order to make a diagnosis. First, the facet joints. If that doesn't work, then the sacroiliac joints, then possibly the hips or other areas. The problem is that pain in one area of the back leads to pain in another as we move differently to protect ourselves from that pain. So facet pain becomes facet and SI pain, which can then cause hip pain and more as a number of other pain generators become irritated. In the midst of this, the weakness that develops can lead to a disc bulge that does cause leg pain. It is very confusing, and most people have several different pain generators that all need to be treated. 
If you're going to use an algorithm that treats one thing at a time, then you must have a problem that is singular. With abdominal pain, appendicitis does not cause gallbladder disease. Once you find a cause of abdominal pain, you can stop looking. Not so with back pain. If there are several things that can occur at the same time, then the algorithm is useless. When one thing is treated at a time, the results are predictably poor. The great experiment has failed. Injections, surgery, and other means of treatment and back pain care have all failed. Cochrane Database Review from 2008 shows that there is insufficient evidence to support the use of injection therapy in low back pain. Facet joints alone were shown to have poor results. Sacroiliac joint injections alone were shown to have worse results. Epidurals were shown to be largely ineffective. It is not the procedures that are ineffective, but the application of the procedures. If you are doing procedures and tests based on an algorithm, you are on a fishing expedition, and poor results are expected. As these studies have come out increasingly saying that the current algorithm doesn't work, the insurance companies are left with having to pay for the only treatments that we have, but have been shown not to work effectively. So they did what they have always done. Get the best experts together and create a set of guidelines that have to be followed precisely to ensure that every fishing expedition is limited. They have also set up as many roadblocks as possible to put off imaging and procedures for at least six weeks so that a patient can get better on their own before being put into the algorithm. More studies are commissioned, but it is always more studies of the current system. The answer is simple, but very few see it. The Back Pain Letter, an industry magazine for doctors who work with back pain, in the April 2013 issue, had an editorial talking about a recent global burden of disease study that found that back pain was the single most disabling disease worldwide and that we are no closer to finding a solution than we were years ago. Dr. Aji Indal is quoted as saying, quote, We've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and we have nothing to show for it, end quote. Dr. Indal advises, quote, Let's get crazy. We need crazy ideas, end quote. But crazy ideas are not supported in this environment. We need to begin with this crazy idea. Tear everything down and begin again. Back pain doctors need to become experts at history and physical exam. Experts at reading our own MRIs. Influencers in rehab, mental health, functional medicine. Other branches of medicine need to combine together and fight to improve this debacle of human suffering. They will then find that the injections do work when they are an extension of care. MRIs are helpful when they are used to confirm rather than diagnose. Physical therapy should become a cornerstone of treatment and not just another option. And some people do need spinal fusion and other spine surgeries. Chiropractors, massage therapists, acupuncturists, psychologists, nutritionists, fascia release experts, and others are all part of a complex puzzle a puzzle that can only be figured out when we go 1800s on it. Let's get back to the basics and grow into the tests, like everyone else did. So let's all follow where this leads and see if we can get crazy. My indictment of the back pain field is not an ending, but a beginning. 
In my website, blogs, and podcasts, we will attempt to break this down even further and then build it back up in the way that I feel it needs to be built. A bold strategy that will earn me much heartache and misplaced ridicule. This effort will inherently offend those that I wish to partner with. My intent is to praise, cajole, prod, and poke back pain physicians, insurance companies, researchers, and others in this field. I hope to inspire, educate, and lead, if necessary, in this path to a new understanding of back pain care. Years from now, I hope that I can look back at this video and podcast and realize the ignorance from where I was when it was delivered, because if I can, it will mean that we have come so far and helped so many people and that the effort was worth all the discomfort. Thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate your download and taking the time to listen. Please go to whatever source you normally get your podcast from and subscribe. Also, visit bodyguitar.com for show notes and to learn about our clinic. Living longer is not near as important as living better. These episodes are meant to advance the goal of living better. One of the best and hardest ways to achieve this goal is to pray for your enemies and forgive those that hurt you. Life is about relationships. Build them. Until next time, body guitar practitioners, performers, and tuners, get your body in tune. This is Dr. Sean Wheeler on Spine and Body Podcast, and I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare studies, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their health providers for any such condition.